want you to stand with me, please, if you're able to. I'm going to pray, and then we're going to jump right into the Word of God. Today we are grateful for Resurrection Sunday. We're thankful to you, Lord, for making it possible for us to gather in this place to recognize that we really are nothing without you. We would not be here if it weren't for the sacrifice that you made. Thank you for being willing to come to this earth to die for people where our backs were turned against you. We thank you for your grace and your mercy that you gave us really what we didn't deserve and held back from us judgment, that which we really did deserve. And so in this place today, we pray for the people that you will help us to hear what the Spirit is saying to the church. We honor your name and give all glory and praise to you. Thank you for the people that are here. Thank you for the families. Thank you for those that will be going out after. Give traveling mercy. Give safety. May we remember that all of our help comes from the Almighty King. We cannot take credit ourselves. We give you all the praise. Those that are going to have surgery, we lift up. Those that have been through surgeries, we pray for. Those, God, who are recovering, we lift them up right now and in a special way. We're giving him all the praise in Jesus' name. Amen. 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 One gentleman that we prayed for for a while, the cancer, Dale is here with his wife, Cherie. We're grateful. You know, prayer works. I just want you to know, prayer does work. There's many times when God says yes, sometimes he says no, and sometimes he says just sit down and wait. Wait, wait. I'm not too much of a person that likes to wait. Don't look at me funny, y'all. Y'all the same way. Hurry up. I mean, have you all been in traffic and you're honking at the person in front of you? They can't go anywhere. Honking at the person. Move. If the light doesn't turn green, if they don't move as soon as the light turns green, you're on your horn. Relax. You, you, you can get there 20 seconds later. <laughs> in your Bibles, if you would turn with me to John chapter 20. I'm going to read the first 10 verses. And then I'm going to read a, a, a passage that I did not give Anisha. I was not going to read it, but I... I feel actually, since I'm looking at my note here, I'm going to give that to you. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10. Then I'm going to read a passage in Isaiah 53. I'm reading from the ESV, and if you're following along on the board, it will read as my version is. Your version that you have may read just a little bit differently. John chapter 20, verses 1 through 10, and this is how it reads. Now, on the first day of the week, Mary Magdalene came to the tomb early while it was still dark and saw that the stone had been taken away from the tomb. So she ran and went to Simon Peter and the other disciple, the one whom Jesus loved, and said to them, They have taken the Lord out of the tomb, and we do not know where they have laid him. So Peter went out with the other disciple. And they were going toward the tomb. Both of them were running together, but the other disciple outran Peter and reached the tomb first. And stooping to look in, he saw the linen cloths lying there, but he did not go in. Then Simon Peter came following him and went into the tomb. He saw the linen cloths lying there and the face cloth which had been on Jesus' head, 
not lined with the linen cloth, but folded up in a place by itself. Then the other disciple who had reached the tomb first also went in, and he saw and believed, for as yet they did not understand the scripture, that he must rise from the dead. Then the disciples went back to their homes. A passage that I'm just going to read that I did not give Anisha is Isaiah 53, verses 11 and 12. Isaiah chapter 53. I'm just going to just read that. 11 and 12. And this is how it reads. Out of the anguish of his soul, he shall see and be satisfied. By his knowledge shall the righteous one, my servant, make many to be accounted righteous, and he shall bear their witness. Therefore I will divide him a portion with the many, and he shall divide the spoil with the strong, because he poured out his soul to death and was numbered with the transgressors. Yet he bore the sin of many and makes intercession for the transgressors. The Lord bless the reading of his word. As a title for this message, I have given throughout all eternity, throughout all eternity, Why Jesus chose to do for us what he did, he fully knows all of the details with perfect understanding. We still today do not fully comprehend the magnitude of what Christ did for us over 2,000 years ago on the cross. What Christ did for us in dying on the cross and rising from the dead, it will be to our benefit throughout all eternity. Two points I'm going to cover today. Point number one, no grave robbers to blame for Jesus not being in the tomb. No grave robbers to blame for Jesus not being in the tomb. Grave robbery had become such a known problem during the time of Christ that Claudius, Emperor Claudius, made it a crime to desecrate the tomb or the sepulcher or the grave. Why would anybody want to go be a grave robber? I don't even like going past the cemetery. Lo and behold, not digging up anybody there. Why would anybody... Back in the south in the day, the church would be right next to the cemetery. South Carolina, when we go to visit, you come out of church, you can go right next door to the plot and bury them. There was no drive in any place. I tell you, you hear all kind of things walking by a cemetery at night. You see things. That's not there, but you swear up and down it's there. You see things moving in the shadow. You see those tree limbs looking just like spirits. 
Lo and behold, you're scared to walk past them. I don't know where I was one night. I was walking and I stopped in my tracks because I knew I saw something that shouldn't be there. And just stood to make sure, try to focus my eyes. And come and find out it was a limb and I was okay after that. <laughs> Why would anyone want to rob a grave? The understanding that Jesus had to rise from the grave was missed by almost everyone. Isaiah, 700 years earlier, had predicted that Christ was going to the grave. Had to die. That he would be the one to die for the sins of the world. Do you not know that every prophecy from Genesis all the way up to when Jesus came, the fact that it had to be fulfilled perfectly, and it was, do you not know that if a prophet got one prophecy wrong, it would cost that person his life? That's how you determine if a prophet was real or not. That's the standard that God put on his word. How do we know, Lord, if a prophet is true? If what he says do not come to pass, don't listen to him. He's a false prophet. The religious leaders who put Jesus to death called Jesus an imposter. But they said to Pilate, we remember what that imposter said, that after three days he was going to rise from the dead. We want to go put some guards there so his disciples don't come and steal the body. Now, I don't normally hear of guards being posted at a tomb when people are already gone. But these religious leaders who put him to death evidently believed something that was going to take place. So they asked Pilate, we need to post a guard. The disciples had already run away. They weren't there. They had been scared. They had been running because of what had transpired with Christ. All of the Old Testament passages were missed by the religious leaders as pointing to them, those things that pointed of their part that he would be rejected. They missed those things. But God said that every prophet that is from him would speak truth. Now Mary, who came to the tomb after Christ died on what we call Good Friday. We just had a service here on Friday. We had seven speakers. He's given about ten minutes. And they proclaimed and gave what's called the seven last words from the cross. These are the words that Jesus spoke while on the cross. And after he was pronounced dead, Joseph of Arimathea asked Pilate for the body. They took him down and he was placed in a tomb in Nicodemus. If you look back at St. John chapter 3, verses 1 through 15, you see that he's the one that came to Jesus at night and asked Jesus some questions. He also was there for the burial of Christ. But it was Mary who stood there at the crucifixion with his mother and some of the other women while the men had run off, scared, because of Jesus, being Jesus' disciples and the fact that he was about to be crucified. And the Lord, almost as if blessing them, gave Mary the opportunity to be the first spokesperson for him. 
He is not there. I understand that many people feel that women can't preach. I'm not one of those. I know that Mary was one of the ones who wouldn't preach the gospel. He ain't in the grave. I shouldn't should say he is not, therefore, in the grave. He ain't there. <laughs> now, I want you to get this picture. Jesus, who dies on the cross for something he did not do, he was willing to go there and pay a price for something he did not do, willing to bear our sins, willing to face and have the wrath of God come upon him so that you and I wouldn't have to experience the wrath of God, even though he did nothing wrong. You see, the, the, the thing that we need to understand is that sin is so hideous to God, it is such a problem that God's wrath has to come against sin. You see, that's what hell is all about. It's not the fact that God made hell for you. He made it for Satan and his imps. But there are a lot of volunteers saying, I'm lining up to go. That was not made for you. He made heaven for you. He sent Jesus to pay a price and to take on God's wrath. And so he's on the cross receiving God's wrath on behalf of you and me. So what does Christ say? Just accept me as Lord. Don't have enough money to pay for it. It's a gift. It's free. Just take the life. That's why he was on the cross. For your sins, my sins, goes to the cross for you and me. So he dies. He's buried. And Mary Magdalene and if you look at some of the other Gospels, we'll record that there are some other women that are there. But you see these women, some that may have been at the grave, are also at the cross, watching, weeping. Mary Magdalene, the one whom Jesus had cast out demons, became one of the greatest believers and is the first one to take the Gospel message. To the disciples. Don't tell me God can't use you. Don't tell me God can't wipe your past clean. God doesn't, doesn't make a difference what you've done. Some says I'm just too bad. No. All of us have been bad and are. So you can't use your badness as an excuse to not come to Christ. Because you're the very one for which he came. So Mary at the cross, then at the tomb. And the Bible says in another passage that Mary was watching Joseph and Nicodemus, watching where they laid him. She took note. This is where he is. Put in the sepulcher of Joseph of Arimathea, and a huge stone was rolled. You see, these stones were massive. And it used to sit like in this little, above this crevice, so that when this little lever was released, it would just roll into place. It could not be moved. And this is where she is looking. Now it's the day of preparation, get ready for the Passover. Now it's Sunday morning, he's in the grave. And the Bible says that Mary goes to the tomb. And she notices that the tomb is empty. And she assumes that grave robbers have taken his body. Now get this. 
She goes while it's still dark. She goes to possibly trying to figure out, to anoint the body, and, and she's thinking, how are we going to move this stone? How are we going to accomplish it? It, it, is, it is an impossible task, but she goes anyway. You need to take note of that. When something seems impossible, it does not mean that you still should not go and tackle the problem. Some of you make decisions based on what it looks like, and you never move. You can't get to Washington, D.C. just by looking at the map all day. You've got to get on the road. You might say, I might have a flat tire. Well, that's the risk you might be just willing to take if you're going to get there. If you want to get there faster, jump on a plane. But you're going to have to make a decision. You say, well, I don't have any money to get there. Ask somebody. <laughs> Some things may seem impossible, but if you don't move and begin to act, you won't get there. Mary goes to the tomb, and lo and behold, that great big stone is not there, nor is Jesus. Now, that has to be a puzzle. Why? Because, one, we got the soldiers that you'll see in Matthew, around 27, where the soldiers had an encounter. They're not there because of the encounter that they had. Mary not yet knowing exactly what had happened, but she goes, thinking, I'm going to get there. The soldiers are supposed to be guarding the tomb. They're not there. What is she going to do? Well, she looks in when she gets there and recognizes he's not there. She turns around immediately and she runs to find the disciples who had been in hiding. Now, how interesting would she go and try to find the very ones who were not at the scene of the cross and who had been in hiding because they had been with Jesus? And lo and behold, what does Mary do? She says, he's not there. Someone has stolen his body, which brings us to point number two. Running towards an empty tomb. Running towards an empty, an empty tomb. It was Mary Magdalene, the one whom Jesus I mentioned cast out demons, who was given the privilege of sharing the message, the gospel message, that he's not in the tomb. It is as if Jesus rewards Mary for her faithfulness and her love for him, that he gives her the privilege of being the one to take the good news to the disciples. Now, while they thought that Jesus had been taken by robbers, it was only the prelude of what was going to come that we would remember throughout all of eternity, the tomb is empty. It was Peter and John who heard what the women said, and they ran to the tomb. You see, back in this day, many of the women didn't have clout. The men would not listen to them, but they believed Mary, and they ran to the They didn't walk. They ran to the tomb. Get this. It was not dignified to be running to the tomb or to be running basically anywhere. Just you running for your life. For the men, no, they walked, but they ran to the tomb. Peter and the Bible says the disciple that Jesus loved, and we know from Scripture that this is the author of this gospel, John. It made no difference that it was early in the morning. She went, and they are going to the tomb. Now, what do you think is going through the disciples' mind as they're going to the tomb? What is she talking about? Have you ever heard something that you just really couldn't believe? And you said to yourself, that just can't be true. 
but you heard it. Have you ever seen something that you said, I don't believe it, and you're looking right at it? <laughs> Have you ever tasted something that says, man, this is, this is just too good? But yes, your taste buds have, have tasted it. We, we, we see the impossible and we say it just can't be. Well, this is what the disciples must have been thinking as they're going to the tomb. He's not there. What do you do when something seems just too real or too good to be true? What do you do? Upon Peter and John reaching the tomb, the Bible says that John stopped and just looked in. You see, some people are just lookers. They'll get to the scene and stop. But Peter is one of those inquisitive ones. He just doesn't stop. He's going to go all the way in. Let me see what's going on in here. That's Peter. He goes into the tomb. And they notice that what Mary has said is true. Now, 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 what's so interesting about the gospel message is that we have women being the messengers who speaks about the truth. Like I told you, men didn't listen. And for the disciples, in order to have credibility, they would have basically put aside what the women had said. But God does things not how, now he doesn't do it just like we think it should be done. He takes that which is sometimes weak, that which is unbelievable, and he does it. That which we just think just can't be done, that's what God does. He uses the testimony of Mary Magdalene and the other women to say that he's not here. And then Peter and John, based on their position as being his disciples, confirm what they have said. And they recognize and see it is true what the women said. He's not here. And that message is still being spoken throughout all of eternity. Your salvation rests upon the fact that he's not there. Let me say this as I begin to wrap this up. When Mary Magdalene and Mary went to Peter and John, we don't see where any of the other disciples are. We know Judas has all by this time gone off the scene. He's hung himself. Doubting Thomas is probably somewhere off pouting. But we know that we have two disciples, two key disciples. The Bible says that Jesus loved. These were his inner circle, Peter, James, and John. We don't have James, but we have Peter and John. When they get there, observe, they notice that the clothing that he had on is in the tomb. The headband in a separate place and the shroud folded there. Bible doesn't give any explanation of why it's there. But this is what you need to note. He went through the clothing in his glorified body. Think about Lazarus. When the Lord raised Lazarus when he was in Bethany, did this great miracle, and told Lazarus to come from the tomb, the Lord then told them, take off his grave clothes. Remove them. They took off the clothes, took off the bandage, the head bandage, took it all off, and they loosed him. Jesus, it makes note, has grave clothes on, but they are still there. 
but he's not. The tomb is opened, not because he had to get out, but because they needed to get in to see that he wasn't there. Get me now. Jesus in his glorified body, the fact that he paid the price now rolls, is not subject to the material anymore. It was confirmed by the fact of the grave clothes, he's not there. Y'all need to get this. It was proof, it was evidence that he indeed has risen. The time that Peter, that, that John is now writing this book here, he has already has gone through the passages of scripture, he has lived, and he's writing this, recognizing that the Old Testament passages that they didn't understand were all pointing to Jesus. And he was an eyewitness account. He gave an eyewitness account. He was an eyewitness to this very fact. You see, when you go to court, you don't want to just have somebody say, that's hearsay. But you have to have evidence when you go to court. You need evidence. And to this day, they still can't find the body. Why? Because he's not there. You see, when you say, I'm looking for Jesus, Jesus is not lost. You are. You're not looking for Jesus. He's not lost. You're lost. I've been lost. And he came to save a lost people. We couldn't find our way. Have you ever moved, have you ever went to a new place and got lost every time you tried to get back to the hotel room? Try to take that same route and you still get lost. I've been there. Done that. Go and tell me that you haven't. You're lying. No. (laughs) You're lost and I'm lost. We go running after things, but if you're not running towards Jesus, you're missing him. You're missing him. It was the running disciples who confirmed what the women said. And they said, we believe it. And the thing that you note that they did, the Bible says, and they went back home. If you have an encounter with Jesus, you will never be the same. You'll never be the same. You might think you're the same, but you'll never be the same. (laughs) You can't experience the Lord and ever be the same. You'll be speaking about what Christ has done for you throughout all eternity. You see, what he's done has made all the difference because he paid the price for you and me to be with him throughout all of eternity. Do you know the plan of salvation is for you and for me? Do you know that God sent his son to pay a price you and I couldn't pay? I tell you this, what is grace? You've heard this before. Grace and mercy? What is grace? Well, grace is what we say technically is God's unmerited favor. Means that you didn't work for it, you couldn't earn it. It's unmerited. How is it laid out practically? Well, you don't deserve heaven. Uh, You do not deserve heaven. (laughs) But in his grace, he gives it to you because of the price that he paid for you. So now, throughout all eternity, you get to be in heaven with him. That's his grace. 
In his mercy, he does not give us what we do deserve. We deserve to be on that, cry, on that cross rather than Christ. We deserve to be separated eternally from God, but we're not. That's his mercy. It is not giving us that which we rightly deserve. His mercy. So grace is giving you something, and his mercy holds back from you. Isn't that incredible? When a person says, I'm going to forgive you that debt, you owe me $50,000. I forgive you. No, they owe me a dollar, and I want that dollar back. <laughs> I was saying something not long ago, about a week ago. Do you know that when the Lord gave a parable once of this man that owed 10,000 talents? 10,000 talents. See, in the Greek, 10,000 was the highest number that they could go to. It ended at 10,000. The top coinage was a talent. One talent, some estimate, was worth 20 years' wages. A denarius, or denarii, was a day's wage, one denarii. When the Lord began to take account of a person that evidently had been stealing from him, the parable says that this man owed him 10,000 talents. 10,000. Millions. And the Lord ordered that him, that he and his wife and kids be sold to the tormentors, put in jail, and that they not be let out until every penny had been paid. Well, the men fell and pleaded for mercy. Forgive me. I'll pay it all. Forgive me. Well, the king who had ordered this accounting and ordered this man to pay said, you know, I forgive you the debt. He forgave him this debt. Now, the same man who had just been forgiven went out and found a person that owed him about 300 denarii. A little bit. The Bible says he grabbed him by the throat. Brother, pay me <laughs> my money. And the Bible says that he then took this man when he says, I can't pay, and threw him into prison. Those of the king's servants who saw what happened went back and reported to the king. This is what this man just did to the one, or to one of his servants, the one that you just forgave. And the Bible says, tell him to come back. He says, shouldn't you have had pity on that man as I had pity on you on a debt that you could never pay? And the Bible says, take him and now put him into prison until every penny is paid. Forgiveness. This man would never be able to pay that debt. And yet he failed to ask his fellow servant one important question. How much time do you need? Something that could be paid. How much time do you need? Or, you know, I've just been forgiven this debt. This shows the compassion of God where we could not pay a debt. And he forgives us. How grateful we should be. Stand to your feet. If you have never said yes to Christ, all you have to do is say, Lord, I'm sorry for my sins. Forgive me. I accept you as my Savior. 
Every head bowed, please. Every eye closed. That's it. The moment you say it in your heart, you believe it. God says, I forgive you. If you've never accepted the Lord, it's just then, Lord, would you forgive me? Is anybody or people in this place says, you know, I'm willing to make that confession. Lord, forgive me, a sinner of my sins. I accept you. Is there anyone who's willing to say yes? I'll do it. I'll do it. I'm willing to accept that forgiveness that Christ gave and gives to me. Anyone here? You can just do it in your heart. Because it's what the Lord sees. Lord, in this place today for the one, we say, God, have mercy. Thank you for your grace and your mercy. For salvation, the plan of salvation, the fact that you are willing to go to the cross, die, rise from the dead, confirmed by people that went. You were then witnessed and seen by multitudes of people upon your resurrection. And there is nobody here today. God, we thank you today and honor you and bless you and love you. That you've been merciful and gracious to us to give us heaven and to not give us hell that which we deserve. We're grateful. And you give it as a gift by merely us saying, God, I accept or asking, Lord, would you be my Savior? We love you today and we glory you. And God, as people leave this place today, would you bless them and may this word, God, just permeate through their very being their very lives. We give all glory to you in Jesus' name. Amen. Happy Easter. Have a great time today with your families and friends.